and welcome to Playwright, the podcast about creating and sharing new ways to play. My name is Ryan Heyman, also called H. Q is on the road today, and so we have a special guest for this, the new year. Instead of just talking at you by myself, we have a friend of mine from a from a long time back. We've known each other since middle school or high school, and now he works down in LA in the film industry. Uh, this is my buddy from another industry, Mr. Jeff Prawl. Hey, how's it going, Ryan? We should uh, establish, first of all, what is your history with video games? I know that there are a few that we like to play together, but uh, just so we can kind of get a get a feel for what you know, what kind of uh, what kind of space you're drawing from. Yeah, I would I would consider myself pretty well versed. I would consider myself an expert. Um, <laughs> I really know a lot about them, and I play them just about you know every day. And so I, I feel you know pretty confident that I understand what the different uh, what the different consoles are and uh, who makes them. But you don't have to lie to impress people. I mean, you do, but you shouldn't. I mean, I do, yeah. In this case, <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, I, I um, you know I, I play video games pretty much when I come back home to see and (laughs) hang out with you and with a couple of my friends down there. So, uh, not too much. I haven't, you grew up, you had a super Nintendo and a PlayStation two. Exactly. Yeah. So I haven't played consistently probably since, since the PS two days. All right. That's, that's okay. Um, we, we go way back with, uh, play a lot of Donkey Kong country. We play a lot of, uh, star Wars battlefront, the good Mm, ones. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I think, uh, James Bond, Agent Under Fire. That's another. That's a classic. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So, anyways, we're we're going to be delving deep into our shared collective knowledge, and coming up with some original video game pitches today. So, hopefully, at least one of these wins you back over and uh, and gets you interested in this industry that you have have left so far behind <laughs> to pursue film. I've abandoned it. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I've abandoned my child. Well, let's. Uh, would you like to go first, or would you like me to? We always give guests the the choice. Probably you, because uh, then I know how good mine has to be. <laughs> well, you're not going to have a high bar to clear this week. But uh, what I was thinking was, uh, back in high school, do you remember we used to play a game on the Wii? I got it for free with the with the Wii that I bought. It was like a pack in software called Mercury Meltdown Revolution. Yes. That game was awesome. That game was super fun, actually. <laughs> yeah, so you play essentially a piece of mercury, which is, you know, just perfect for children to get them uh, to really plant that idea in their minds at a young age that playing with mercury is about the most fun that you can have. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's kind of like a super monkey ball where you tilt a an obstacle course in kind of an abstract space uh, around to get this mercury blob to... Kind of shift and run down the um, down the course, and you, you could uh, you could split it between things if you need it to be in two places at once because it's a liquid. It can easily split and reform later on. You can change its color. You can split it, change colors, and combine colors to come up with kind of complementary colors. 
And so, you know, a lot of um, a lot of monkey ball-like puzzles, but with a mercury blob. And so I was thinking of kind of extending that idea and uh, coming up with some new wrinkles. I was thinking maybe we can change the... Um, change the the solidity of the object uh can mold it into different shapes or just do whatever we want to and uh let's start with that base and see what we can build off of it i'm going to give us 10 minutes and we can uh yeah let's see what we come up with the most important thing we need to establish is that whatever elements you can transform them into have to be equally hazardous i don't want anything tame <laughs> or anything that would be uh you know, considered um, a positive influence for kids that are playing it. it has to be something damaging. It would be kind of funny to be a uh, sentient piece of mercury and to like try to infect people <laughs> to like <laughs> slither down some or up someone's nose while they're asleep or underneath mm. people's fingernails or something. That could be cool. It could be a, a, a side-scrolling game where you have to move from the, uh, the 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 foot of the bed all the way up to their nose. <laughs> that could be great. So the original, I don't even know if it was the original. I seem to remember there being Mercury Meltdown games before, which is why they had the Revolution name attached to it. I'll have to do some more research just out of personal curiosity. But the one that we played before always kind of reminded me of those um, those puzzle... I don't want to say puzzle boxes because that has a separate meaning, but do you know those uh, wooden puzzles with a maze on top and you can, uh, there's little knobs in the side that you can, you can turn to twist the maze around to get a marble to follow. Um, yes. I yeah. What those are called. And I, I always really liked in that Wii game, the kind of physicality of everything. And mm. so leaning more into, <clears throat> into that aspect and trying to find some way to get more out of the, physicality of right. it so sticking with the bed analogy and crawling up into someone's nose maybe the bed could be a water bed <laughs> or, true. or yeah. the bed could be on a something that's rotating uh, uh a <laughs> so like an austin powers bed yeah exactly exactly or you know a spaceship like uh going you know orbiting the earth or whatnot <laughs> so you're just tilting that's it. interesting actually so if if we were, were to be more of like a traditional obstacle course Having uh, getting to play with zero gravity, getting to yeah. freeze the object into whatever shape it was in at the time it was frozen, yes. having some additional controls, and then you know you kind of like clunk around as a cube or as a perfect sphere. You can roll around like a marble. Maybe you can freeze a part of your a part of your mercury into a bridge that the gelatinous part could cross. Um, I don't know. There's, I feel like there's a lot that we can do there. I'm loving these ideas. I feel like, <laughs> I feel like we're really onto something here. Now, something that, uh, there are a few kind of liquid based puzzle games. Um, but an aspect of it that I'm not, that I don't see often that I think might be interesting is bubbles to blow bubbles in your character to find maybe some sort of event or something that can, cause a bu bubble to to form but i don't know what mm. what purpose that would serve um can you with, float with them yeah you could float upwards potentially we'd yeah. have to look into the science of that because uh i don't know oh, how no. heavy mercury no no science <laughs> i think the last thing we want to do with a game called mercury is and in, in, you know involve science into it yeah right um you could uh i mean obviously it, it increases the surface area 
maybe blowing a bubble and then freezing that would make you a larger sphere or have like a bulbous section and then the rest of it could be just a little clump of mercury. I yeah, I don't know. I feel like there's there's opportunities to be had there. Slight uh, deviation is do we do we have a story here? Do we add a story? Like, is there a villain in this in this <laughs> game or are we going completely like challenge based only? Oh, I should know this off the top of my head, but Mercury, uh, Mercury, the god uh, Hermes, or you were saying Aramis, Aramis, Aramis. I don't know. I've always heard Hermes, but I Hermes just sounds too much like a like something you don't want to contract. <laughs> sounds too much like a love bug. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, regardless, it's the uh, the the quick fellow with the uh, wings on his hat. Mm-hmm. Um. So I don't know if that necessarily helps us. Does he have an enemy in uh, in the mythology? Mm. Does his, is his enemy? Are we crossing like universes here from like the Greek and the Roman like god universes are crossing like DC and Marvel? <laughs> so we have like Mercury facing off with Hermes, which would be like um, I don't know Iron Man facing off with Batman, Batman would be the equivalent. Batman, I guess. Yeah. Now we are getting we are kind of pursuing the name. This is very different, but I'm okay. Like we can totally change what this is. And actually, if we were to just turn this into a Greek and Roman God fighting game, that does sound pretty cool. So something in the vein of Injustice 2. That could be kind of cool. Because it's already kind of playing with uh, the original Injustice was called Gods Among Us. And so, you know, in a sense, there's the idea that like superheroes are kind of the modern mythological gods Mm -hmm. and... Uh, so maybe there's something to that. We can we can pocket the uh, the rolling liquid around and uh, what what would we? I mean, you could involve that somehow. You could involve the the rolling liquid and like the uh, uh, okay. levels, like um, with like if the levels are like moving and shifting, kind of like you were talking about, like mm-hmm. like uh, like the, whatever that game was where you roll the ball around in it. Yeah. So the levels could be moving like that, or they could use mercury as a weapon somehow or another. <laughs> I don't know how you would do that. Oh, well, you know, just poisoning someone. They have to drink a lot of mercury <laughs> or eat a lot of fish, like too much fish. <laughs> now, this is surprising, actually, but you're actually not that far off from something that already exists. <laughs> really? It's um. There's uh, two games called Rock of Ages, okay. which is essentially a historical mythological creature or a figure fighting game where you can play as like Zeus or Napoleon. There's kind of a mixture of mythological and historical uh, beings. I feel like that battle would be a little bit, uh, you'd be a little one-sided, but yeah, the way that it happens is that, um, is that you set up defenses along a giant hill that you're trying to protect. And then the opponent has to roll a giant boulder down the hill and try to hit your castle at maximum velocity to break through the walls without. And so your traps are there to kind of like lessen the speed of the boulder. Okay. So in a way that is weirdly close to exactly (laughs) what you're pitching. So yeah, I I don't know. That must mean that we're on the right track (laughs) or they copied us. That's like, probably, you know, in sort of like an alternate timeline type of thing. Yeah. They heard this podcast true. and they went back and then, yeah. Yeah. It was a Spider-Verse scenario. Right. Yeah. So, okay. So let's say, let's say we have a, a Greek God fighting game. Let's think of an interesting idea other than them just punching each other, which is cool, but you know, Very cool. we can just say that about anything and call it a day. Like mm-hmm. we have to actually come up with something to give it an original spin. Mm-hmm. So 
I've always liked that the Greek gods in particular do a lot of uh, morphing into animals and they'll have assistants and things. So maybe maybe there's like a whole a whole scene, like a banquet or something. Mm-hmm. And uh, you kind of get the sense of like gods answering people's prayers or you, know, you, you hear a lot in the Greek mythologies of people taking on the powers of the god or being blessed by the gods mm-hmm. and you know, receiving extra strength or extra powers or something. So maybe you are indirectly fighting by blessing certain objects and oh. and letting your um, maybe two small groups of people, not entire armies, but maybe mm-hmm. groups of like five people mm-hmm. fight it out, uh, blessing people at the right times while they're kind of autonomously fighting, mm. maybe setting up traps in the environment, maybe even uh, sending in one of your helper animals or disguising yourself as an animal mm. to infiltrate the scene. So it's like proxy wars almost. Yeah, right. Like Vietnam. <laughs> it's going to be exactly like the exactly Vietnam War. Exactly Vietnam, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, so does that then kind of, does that become sort of like a, like a, uh, what's that called? A massive multiplayer thing where like uh, like everybody online, like a bunch of people play and then... Uh, I mean, it could be. You could just be kind of following around your group of five people in an online world and trying to just kind of like help them survive in that rough world. Mm-hmm. Or it could just be like an arena-based, uh, oh. almost like a MOBA that you don't directly control. Okay. So you could have just like one team against one team or it could be... You're managing every aspect of these people's lives, kind of like an online The Sims. What's a MOBA? A uh, MOBA. Or it's MOBA. a uh, something like Warcraft Three or like Age of Empires. Okay. But less open world maps and more like there are three uh, like channels that you are trying to attack the enemy through. Each opponent has a base on opposite corners. Okay. And instead of controlling just random units, you're controlling like heroes that each have individual powers. So like League of Legends and uh, and Dota okay. and Smite are, you know, within the MOBA genre. But um, anyways, okay. we've uh, we've gone through many ideas here. It has shifted drastically, but we are out of time on that one. So let's come up with a, a success. Yeah, let's come up with a name with it for it. And I feel like we're uh, we have a lot of ideas out there and we can kind of throw that back out into the community and see if anyone else has anything to build on top of that. So. We could be very direct and just call it God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> that feels very true to the experience of playing the right. other one. Yeah, I mean, we want to keep it as part of the timeline, kind of like these Cloverfield movies you're doing. <laughs> like, they don't have anything technically to do with one another, but they're in the same, you know, we're in the same universe. Like, there's still mercury elements that are rolling around on bricks and okay. things like that. All right. Well, that, that seems suitable. <laughs> let's, uh, let's go over to your idea. What do you have for us today? So one of the, I mean, okay, one of the one of the few games that I'll play somewhat consistently um, is the old uh, Age of Empires, uh, Age of Empires three, which I don't hmm. actually remember what year that was, but like maybe maybe that was fifteen years ago, something yes, like that. Yeah, it's getting up there. Yeah. Yeah. So um, so a bunch of my uh, guys that I work with will play that sometimes and uh, kind of you know do like a, a LAN hookup or whatnot and. Mm-hmm. And it's really fun. I mean, it stood the test of time. Obviously, it's super old graphics and stuff like that, but it still works. It still runs, and it's really interesting, and it's fun. the strategy is fun and all that kind of stuff. And they, they made some expansion. Some, somebody, I think, made an off-brand expansion pack or something mm. called the Napoleonic 
era, this expansion to Age of Empires 3 that sort of like puts you in the, into that next era in history, I guess. So the thought was, the thought that um, a, a number of us have talked about is like, will they ever make an Age of Empires 4? And if they do, what era would it be? So what if they did? And what if it was World War Two? Or I guess World War One, but like you know, somewhere in this in this in the twentieth century, where you're leaping ahead massively, and um, so none, you know, instead of just foot soldiers and horses and cannons, you're now dealing with tanks, aircraft, fighter jets, bombers. The naval battles like go increase exponentially because you get carriers and submarines and things like that. So the complexities of it would just increase massively. Your map space would probably have to increase. So that's just something, I don't know. Like, I just feel like that would be super fun to try to play something with more modern um, kind of technology like that. All right, let's uh, let's start the clock there and see where we can take it. Now, there are some types of strategy games that take place around that era, but they tend to be more way, way, way zoomed out army management games where you're dealing with, like, fighting on every front all at once and playing more kind of like the general's perspective. And so you'll get an entire map of Europe and usually just like text descriptions or graphical overlays for where the front is located at that time. And you can kind of choose to allocate how many of your units you want to send to which front. And so, you know, it's it's very different um, than what you were uh, pitching, which is, you know, Age of Empires, even though you are managing an entire army, it is just kind of over one battle and you can watch each unit you can kind of take control of each unit and um, follow their individual journeys along the way you're you're gathering resources and i wonder if that's the aspect now that i say it out loud that's kind of kept that particular series from moving forward because once you get to a certain point it makes sense for medieval warfare where age of empires started and then the mm-hmm. colonial warfare mm-hmm. uh, of uh age of empires three um where you know you are gathering resources to build up your towns and settlements at the same place that the battle is taking place whereas in world war ii and in more industrialized wars all of your resources are being managed back home and you're importing everything that you need and so there isn't that much use for the land other than just the battlefield well that was a yeah let's give up that was, <laughs> <laughs> that's let's, a good thought let's, pursue you know, it. So, let's forget it <laughs> so i i do like in the age of empires game that the the battlefield does serve that bimodal purpose of yeah of being a resource hub and also the place where the battle is taking place and so you don't want to absolutely destroy it because you might want to use that land later on now, now the one thing I will say, I don't, I don't know if this this helps or not, but but there, I mean, depending on where the battles were, there there was a lot of depending on the armies and where they were, they, they where they would they would use the ground they conquered to then supply and feed their armies, which was okay. like you know the 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 problem that as an example the Germans ran into when they were invading Russia is that Russia implemented a scorched earth policy, so they just burned all of their fields and everything. And so that's why the Germans had a hard time advancing was because the food wasn't there for them to then feed their army and like that kind of thing. And none of the, none of the, and you know, the, the industry was all gone. Everything was just, was, was just demolished. So to a certain extent there, there is a little bit of that, not nearly as much. I mean, your point's still valid, not nearly as much as in the you know, past, but there's still a little bit that could work. That's interesting. Well, yeah, maybe that's my lack of knowledge about history. So yeah, we can, uh, we can, We can continue to explore that. Uh, Another route that people have taken in the past is that you'll 
sometimes see World War II era machinery pop up in games that span like multiple eras through history. So if you think of something like uh, like civilization, then that you you start off as a like caveman essentially, and you work your way up throughout history until you're in the future and you have spaceships and you're colonizing other planets and such. And, you know, in between there, you'll get some kind of World War II era stuff as well. Um, World War II era heroes and world leaders and such. So, um, but, you know, again, that doesn't really focus on that one particular time period. It's more of kind of like a passing ground until uh, greater things. I mean, you could do something similar to that in terms of like starting like pre-industrial revolution type of thing. I mean, that might be kind of a, you know, maybe like a 200 year span type thing. But because what was when was the Industrial Revolution, like late 1800s, early 1900s? Sounds about right. Something like that. So you start, you know, back then where you start with everything is still agriculturally based and that kind of thing. And as you advance through your levels, maybe then you start getting more towards industrialization, which is essentially kind of what it is like currently. What if you are managing both the battlefield and these uh the town like a city back home like your capital city right so whether it's like london or berlin or Mm -hmm. something and so you could press a button to essentially kind of instantly switch between those two views and you have to you know make the types of choices that a mayor would have to make maybe or or the leader of the country you could be churchill in both scenarios i suppose yeah and choosing to fund uh education or trying to keep your political parties under control so that they don't overthrow you and another leader is set in place and yeah. you know all these types of things that you see in the uh, almost kind of like last year's uh darkest hour and dunkirk two right. movies come out at the same time i like that so you're kind of managing both sides of the war yeah that could get very complicated but in a good mm-hmm. way like they've been giving you a lot to have to deal with that you have to deal with um diplomacy and um, dynamics of like, yeah, running the country and that kind of thing. Um, And then also having to deal with like the military um, on the front and and that kind of thing. That could be really interesting. And the only thing I could might be a problem is if you wanted to play as the Germans and then you had to make some of the, you know, you had to decide if you were going to make some of the decisions Uh, that Hitler made. Yeah. Um, uh, So maybe you can do like an alternate history. Like, let's say, that the war was, I mean, I don't want to get into this, like, what if scenario, because it sounds really bad if somebody were to take me out of context. But like, what, let's say the war was unavoidable and necessary, that you are essentially one team is the Germans, one team is the allies. You're free to make whatever choices you want. And I would encourage you to not build concentration camps. <laughs> that would be a... That would be a strong consideration, but like, so you can maybe play as like an alternate history Germany. That's not so bad, but you're still like the still, the war still happened in the first place. I don't know how much that muddles the, you could maybe just take that element out like completely. Like it's not an option to like, like, well, yeah, I, I I mean, hopefully that's we fine, because we should we shouldn't make that something that you could actually no. do. <laughs> I don't think we want that. That is kind of an interesting experiment as well, because part of the reason why the uh, the whole Holocaust happened was as like an appeasement of the German people and trying to take out some of the 
nationalistic anxiety on a scapegoated uh, race of people that weren't able to defend themselves. So in a way, it kind of like it served a societal end where, you know, Hitler and his his uh, his group were able to use the uh, Jewish discrimination to have kind of like a tighter grip on the people and to give them a stronger like sense of national identity, kind of like, um, you know, Trump doing today with, uh, with immigrants and such. So, mm. you know, it's not like it was like, it is still a strategic element when it comes to managing your own population. But yeah, again, I don't want to be the video game developer that, right. cause that turns into headlines oh, and, if, yeah, that could get really that could get really bad really fast. And I also don't want people like justifying it either. Right, exactly. <laughs> like I, I, I remember I listened to this thing about the this guy that um this this company that designed this um this uh, baby that was designed for people to use um, like instead of like you know carrying an egg around to like keep mm -hmm. it safe for the day they would design this this baby and the baby would react to certain things you did um, and so like if you you know you know, you changed its diaper or you, you know, coddled it the right way or whatever, it would like, you know, make happy sounds or something like that. But if you did something that you shouldn't do with a baby, like you shook it upside down or something like that, the baby would cry. Hmm. And so what they found was actually they, they found that people were doing this intentionally and like making the baby cry. And like this was became like a thing that hmm. people were doing. And it really concerned them because people were kind of getting off on this whole idea of like hurting something mm -hmm. to evoke this sort of pained reaction. Um, and so when they made their next update, they, 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 um, they stopped including the, hmm. the, like the negative, like crying sounds or like, I think they did it, but it would only do it like once. And then after that it would, it would stop so that you couldn't just continually do it over and over that's and over again. Interesting. So I wonder, so, so, you know, that's where you, you know, that would be the kind of like where you wouldn't want to get into this thing of like allowing somebody to like really enjoy this experience. I, I, I do wonder if there's a way, and like you said, this is getting into really, really dangerous <laughs> ground here, really treacherous ground. But I, I wonder if there could be a way and I wouldn't have any idea how to do it, but if there would be a way to um, create something based on these um, the, the atrocities of history that have happened, um, that would allow as sort of like a um, a, a a lesson or a teaching mm -hmm. opportunity through them to talk about some of these some of the the human rights abuses, like you look at the Japanese internment camps or the Holocaust or any handful of things um, throughout history, you could go back and look at, you know, you go really far back, look at the Assyrians and Alexander the Great and mm -hmm. like all those kinds of things. Um, I wonder if there's a way to sort of include, uh, you know, sort of decision making or strategy making something have revolving around those events. It would be interesting if there was almost like a text based thing where you can go back at these pivotal moments in history as these leaders that we've that history is remembered as being evil, mm -hmm. make different decisions and just see kind of how things evolve from there. Mm. Again, I don't want to, I don't want it to be like, you know, if this decision wasn't made, then the country that they were trying to defend ceases to exist. And so that in a way justifies it, but yeah. So, you know, again, yeah, it's dicey, but yeah. it's an interesting, and maybe it does open up uh, some conversations about like actually there were a lot of things they could have done instead that wouldn't have been horrible. Potentially, I mean that's a good point. Like if if you did it right, which again mm -hmm. I don't know how you do that, <laughs> but if you did it right, there could could maybe there could potentially be a value um, in terms of like sort of like identifying the 
some of the modern day things that we see um, and the choices that have to be avoided to make sure we don't go down the same paths. Yeah. And that's not saying, right. you know, not anything in particular, whatever modern day you are, everything in with history has some sort of repetition to it. And so you'd be able to look and kind of analyze where we are and see the very beginnings of the way people talk about certain uh, minority groups and the way they are uh, personified and oppressed and like that kind of thing. And you can draw the, the connection back to how things were then and then sort of see where you're at right now and, and then see where things went off the rails in the past and to hopefully kind of connect that to right now and to avoid making those same kind of decisions. That's interesting. Well, we've run out of time. That leaves us on a bit of a cliffhanger, maybe. I mean, we solved the problem with the world, <laughs> so I think we're good. Yeah. Well, let's let's come up with a name for this World War II real-time strategy game. Age of Empires 4. Mm-hmm. Um, Age of Empires 4, you did not see that coming. <laughs> Yeah, I like it. I like it. I mean, I don't think there's anything. No one, no one's gonna have an issue with that. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I can't see that. That's going pretty wrong much bulletproof. All. <laughs> all right. Well, anyways, let's go over to the community and see if they have something that's not gonna get us in as much trouble. Yeah, please. And this comes from Neil Piper, who says, "I really enjoyed Q's pitch a couple episodes ago. It's probably a long time ago now." For a real director, I have a lot of fun with games where the characters have a mind or agenda of their own, but you can influence their settings or decisions. Part of the pitch made me think a little bit of Tamadachi Life for 3DS, watching the mix of friends, fictional characters, and celebrities make their own decisions to develop their own personality while interacting, usually, let's be honest, in ridiculous costumes, made that game really entertaining to me. You also mentioned the detailed characters and settings from David Cage's games, and it got me thinking, how would you make a Tomodachi lifestyle game if you had David Cage's resources and style, minus the problems inherent to David Cage, of course. Now by David Cage, does he mean Nicolas Cage? David Cage is a French director of video games that um, are very cinematic and very decision oriented they have really nice graphics they're generally well acted and well performed they pull in like big celebrity like nicholas cage i'm kind of surprised he hasn't done a crossover at this point but um well you said they have really good acting they've so. had a willem dafoe and uh nice. yeah you know it's um but anyways it, it's just that they are very poorly written oh. and so all of the pieces are right they're just they don't really deliver because David Cage himself is just not a good storyteller. Oh, okay. So they've kind of been a bit of a punching bad, but they keep, uh, they keep okay. earning awards and making lots of money. So, you know, I feel like we're still punching up. So it it's okay. Okay. So let's say that there is a, so Tomodachi Life is a game that's kind of like the Sims on the 3DS, but it's way more autonomous. You have very minimal impact on the lives of the, your characters and you are just kind of overseeing them as they kind of go about their lives on an island. You can kind of give little nudges in one way or the other, but whether or not they get on with their neighbors or whether or not they take certain jobs is more or less up to them. So let's say that we're setting up a big kind of life simulation like that, but we have a lot of budget and very high production values. What would we want to bring to that? Well, I mean, first, obviously, I think it's important that we get Nicolas Cage involved. Sure. We got I'm, the I'm okay with that. that so yeah. I don't I don't see why we wouldn't do that. <laughs> so one of the things that I've always wanted is kind of like procedural mystery game, maybe playing a detective or something. This, this fits into David Cage's work if you think of Heavy Rain. A crime will happen, but you're not 
necessarily following something that somebody has written. It's something that's unpredictable. You're not able to just look up the answers. You know, there's a lot of great mystery games, but nothing that feels truly procedural, like it's being, like it's happening right there in front of you. And I wonder if we have the power to put something like that together. Yeah, I think that sounds great. I don't really have, <laughs> sorry, I don't have a lot to add on that. So I think the thing that, um, the thing that would make that difficult is that you don't get those kind of like clever, like Agatha Christie twists to it. Mm. Because if it's just procedural, it doesn't feel like you can build out the same level of, of complexity of characters and the, I don't know, but I feel like if you were simulating a complex enough world, then you could start to get there. The amount of things, of procedural things that I see happening in the world of like Red Dead Redemption 2 is pretty stunning. And I feel like if I were to run across some of those scenes right after they happened, I could I could do a decent amount to try to piece it back together. And again, I don't know if there's enough complexity there, but I, I think that's more of a uh, prioritization of scale rather than like an impossibility of putting those smaller details in. Does does procedural in this in this context in video games sort of mean the same thing as it does in like episodic television, like like Law and Order, or like that kind of thing? Uh, not necessarily. Uh, in uh, in the video game space, procedural stuff generally just means that whatever is happening is a react is a uh, result of of systems playing off of each other rather than deliberately scripted sections. Got it. So okay. if somebody were to if somebody in Grand Theft Auto were to be running on the hills and a bear happened to walk by and take a slash at them and they fell into a freeway and that caused a big pileup. And that is a procedural story Got that is it. being told okay. because nobody specifically wrote that. It was just that they wrote the systems that allowed it to happen. Got it. Okay. Oh, that's cool. So having a consideration for like murder weapons or, items that were taken from a store or something like this where you know there's more attention paid to the types of evidence that would be left behind um i could uh i could see that working yeah that makes sense i think that that's actually kind of cool now that i understand um what procedural means like the idea <laughs> like but but yeah like the idea that you wouldn't be able to necessarily get as complicated because you're not writing mm-hmm. in what's happening but it's sort of things are just bouncing off of each other is it possible to sort of combine the two or is it kind of like all or nothing like like things bounce off of each other but they fall within a general broader yeah. direction generally within video games when we randomize anything we don't like it to be completely random we usually like to procedurally generate randomized elements so that there's there are boundaries and there's kind of rules that they fall into. So it makes some sort of sense and is fun rather than just getting a bad roll of the dice. Mm. So essentially it's kind of like stacking the cards so you'll never get a bad hand. It's always going to be interesting. Got it. So, okay. So let's say, you know, thinking about this, I think it would be pretty easy to procedurally generate crime scenes and have like the physical evidence, you know, you can have, it's almost like playing a game of Clue. Like there is a murder weapon that would make sense in that environment. You can choose how they disposed of it or whether they kept it, whether it was something that they brought along with them premeditated or whether it was something that they picked up from the environment and killed somebody with. 
you know, you can tag certain items in the environment as potential weapons and you can, there, there's a lot that you can do with a physical evidence. Let's think about ways that we can make, that we can kind of proceduralize the motivations of the characters. So if each character has certain tags, certain personality traits and relationships to each other. Tell me if I'm off base here, but if you keep it, if you, if you sort of kept it in a, um, whether the whole game or certain levels or aspects of it, like in a, in a more confined space, Mm -hmm. like let's say you set one in an apartment complex, a relatively small apartment complex where a lot of people know each other and that kind of thing. And so your interactions with certain people, you would more or less know everyone. And so those interactions could more directly influence the way your character thinks, acts or feels. Yeah. Or even better, um. I don't mean to just, you know, poo-poo your idea there. But would... Yeah, but taking something that's not garbage, <laughs> let me tell you this. <laughs> no, like, I, I, I like that because, you know, getting a manageable cast of characters makes sense. I mean, obviously, it wouldn't be endless in the way that something on the scale of Grand Theft Auto potentially would be. Because if there's only so many people, then there can only be so many potential murders and everything. You start tearing through the cast pretty quickly. Oh, you'd be surprised. But, um... <laughs> And there is always that element like in big cities of like just some random dude, like we went to some random place in the city, serial killers and stuff. And how do you unravel those mysteries? But anyways, mm. let's say we want to stick to a more confined cast of characters. The problem that I see with an apartment complex is that it gives you a cast to work with. The rest of the world outside doesn't stop existing. So it would kind of require a suspension of disbelief to think that it wasn't somebody from the outside coming in and murdering that you are stuck to just accusing the people that immediately live there so what if instead it was like something set back in time maybe in like red dead days in a small town Uh that's kind of isolated okay transportation isn't that easy so if anyone was coming into or leaving the city it would be very obvious and everyone would know and so you get that sense of the cast of characters but you don't have to ignore the wider world around it that would be cool Actually, you know what would be what would be really cool is if you set something like that in a super rural community, like up in Alaska. Yeah, yeah. Alaska is freaking gorgeous, <laughs> and you could get some absolutely. That's if you, true. If you say uh, David Cage does like really gorgeous like game mm-hmm. design and stuff like that, some of like the Alaskan like islands up there are just incredible. Yeah. Okay. I like that. So we have Alaska murder mysteries. Um, it's probably polar bears most of the time, but thinking about people's motivations and such. Every character, even if it is procedurally generated, can be tagged with a profession within the community. And so that would kind of affect who they cross paths with on a regular basis. They could all kind of randomly be paired off into relationships or they can have groups of friends. You can maybe... One of the things I love about Deadly Premonition is that you can follow people around and see who they hang out with and you can go into their homes and then each of their homes are individually decorated to be, Mm. to say something about them. To be able to procedurally generate somebody's interesting decorations would be super cool as well. And, uh, you know, I can see it working, but we're coming to the end of our time there just as we were picking up momentum. Let's uh let's close that one down and come up with a name for it. If we we're going on an Alaska theme, mm-hmm. we could call it cold blooded. <laughs> <laughs> that that sums up Alaska crimes pretty well, I yeah. think. Yeah, absolutely. Uh thank you for submitting, Neil, as you have done before. If you would like to submit again or if anyone else would like to submit their own video game pitches, you can do that at playwrightcast at gmail.com. You can go to our website, playwrightcast.com slash pitch. 
or you can tweet us at PlaywrightCast in all of those instances. It is P-L-A-Y-W-R-I-T-E-C-A-S-T. And make sure you ask for me to answer your question, because <laughs> I'll give you the real in-depth, uh, you know, detailed pitch on it. That's I'll create right. something brilliant, as you can see. <laughs> so make sure and shout me out. <laughs> That's right. Our, uh, our theme song, as we heard playing us in and out of the episode today, is Hello World from the album Blue Noise by Protodome. Thank you again, Blake, for letting us use that every week. Greatly appreciate it. It's an awesome song. Go and listen to that great album. And uh, again, thank you, Jeff, for joining us and for uh, throwing us uh, some interesting ideas and uh, bringing some filmic expertise into the conversation. (laughs) You're very welcome. I feel like I really brought a lot to this. So is there anything that you would like to pitch of your own work? Uh, anything that you would like to draw our listeners' attention to? Uh, nothing that's out uh, currently. I have something, uh, a short film I shot in England uh, called Heart of This Place that's, I think, going to be released online in the next couple months here. And then um, another one in, that we shot in Mexico that I'm very excited about, but I don't have details on those yet. So just keep an eye out. If they're going to be shared online, uh, unfortunately, you can't use Tumblr anymore because they put an adult <laughs> content ban yeah, on sorry. now, so I forgot to mention that part of it. <laughs> it's the aspect of the industry. <laughs> it just comes with the territory, you know. Yeah, no pun intended. Oh. Uh, so, no, no, you do no. Okay, <laughs> you do. Uh, you do clothed work. Yes, within the Hollywood. So, yes. you know, not that. Uh, not that you would necessarily turn down if the right job were to come around. But I mean, you know what they say: money's money, right? <laughs> Well, anyways, thank you for joining us. And yeah, thank uh, you for having me. Yeah. And for um, to take us out of the show today, I'll send us out with a miniature pitch. What I have is uh, you play as a character in a RoboCop type scenario where a randomized limb of your body has been replaced with a giant gun and you just have to make it work. <laughs> it's not a bad one, actually. All right. We'll see you next week. <laughs> Thank you.